This podcast is a discussion of Christian devotionals and self-help books and is intended for entertainment purposes only. The ideas discussed on this podcast are adult-themed and come with a blanket trigger warning. The intent of this podcast is not to attack any person who uses or gifts the materials under discussion, nor is it intended as a critique of the author. Rather, it is the ideas and messages we feel are being expressed in the materials that are being reviewed and examined. With expletives. Welcome back, everybody, to Goddamn Devotionals, the podcast where we break down harmful ideas and messages found in Christian devotionals and self-help books. Parsing through the bull and the shit just for you. I'm JR. And this is JP. And in this episode, we're continuing Waking the Dead by John Eldritch. Still in part three, The Four Streams, we are in, finally, the last chapter of this section, and we're going to learn how to merge the streams today. (laughs) We've just been kicking this dead horse. (laughs) (laughs) Merge them already. This has been, like, the longest section in this book. Mm -hmm. I think there's, like, five chapters in this section. Yeah, and and he's, he's been a little bit, like... I don't know, with this section, I feel like even though merging the streams, the four streams are a movie reference, he's been a little bit lighter on his movie references within these four four chapters, it feels like. I feel like he has, yeah. So chapter 10 is setting hearts free, integrating the four streams. Back to hearts. Back to hearts. John urges us to remember that we were originally created by God with the glory of God. Part of that glory was to rule. To rule, John reminds us, means to have mastery. But not just mastery, fierce mastery. Fierce rule. God will reward those who fiercely rule in his name. Which God's going to train us how to do, and warns us that ruling fiercely could get vicious. I love this. I love this type of stuff when you come across it in amongst... I don't know that I've ever actually really heard this too much from the pulpit, but you get this with Christian self-help books, especially these ones that love the sort of militant language. You get this idea of heaven and earth. You know, what you bind on earth, you bind in heaven, and you want to, like, you, you know, do all this stuff and be the most faithful servant on earth, and so you want to be most in- rule in heaven. Well, and, and but the thing is, is that you get this. You, you disregard the New Testament. You disregard this argument between the disciples of who's going to be at Christ's right hand one day. Let's Christ establish goes into, our hierarchy absolutely. here. Yeah. yeah, this is how things work on earth. Uh, the the Israelites in the Old Testament they go. We don't want just the almighty deity of the universe ruling us. We want a king. We want somebody who looks like everybody else so we can say, yeah, that guy's in charge. What you get with the New Testament, they're going, who's going to, which one of us amongst your disciples is top dog and which one of us is going to be at your right hand when we get to heaven, you know, and the kingdom of heaven is established. Christ very famously turns around and goes, whoever makes yourself the least and then you get to these types of books. And then Christians from then on have tried to make themselves the least, most humble people ever so that they sure. can sit at the right hand of God. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what the message of these types of books is going to tell you is how to make yourself humble and the least going into combat because the end goal is 
always, because of course, heaven needs management. When we get to heaven, of course the idea is going to be is that there's a big vacuum of leadership when you get to heaven that God somehow needs with all these people pouring in from earth after uh, the end of the world. Oh my gosh, he needs middle managers. We have this Western corporate mindset of heaven that somehow God needs middle man. And so you're going to work your butt off here on this earth, being the best servant of God you possibly can be, so that you can achieve middle management for eternity. (laughs) Great. We will live out your days as Michael fucking Scott in heaven. Uh, John doesn't have an issue with with that whole thing. Okay, maybe I jumped the gun again. But that's John Eldritch here is mourning not the fact that Christians are not serving enough. He's mourning the fact that Christians don't view life as a battle. They think the battle's already been won by Jesus, which it has, but that's no excuse for acting all passive and acquiescent and all of that. Okay, now that I have heard preached from the pulpit yeah Yeah. just because jesus has already won doesn't mean we get to stop fighting apparently winning doesn't mean an end to warfare (laughs) tell that to the polar expedition of world war one exactly i love that that type of (laughs) logic going so the war is over and we've got people who are still on the front line and how long it takes for that message to get out that, hey, guys, the treaty's been signed. We all can stop killing each other. Every war in history ends up with our own civil war. We have holdouts of resistance or people who didn't get the word and people who died days and weeks after the wars ended pointlessly. And John's saying we should be like those people. We mm-hmm. should be the polar expedition. We should be the the slaves out in Texas who didn't get word of emancipation until way after the war was ended Mm -hmm. going that's what john says we should do because apparently the war is won but we need to keep fighting i don't Mm -hmm. i don't understand this i really don't anyway (laughs) (laughs) back to the four streams of discipleship counseling warfare and healing they're supposed to free us so that we can rule fiercely we're supposed to utilize those four streams Merge them together so that we can rule fiercely. I don't know what we're going to rule other than middle management in heaven. How? How does this happen? I'm going to cut through all John's meandering here. Please do. (laughs) I'm still caught on discipleship, counseling, healing, and war. One of these things is not like the others. So, John, take me there. I'm, I'm curious. So, John explains that we need Jesus. That's the discipleship. Mm hmm. To not only be shown where your wounds come from, Mm -hmm. that's the counseling, but also which spirit is trying to attack you, that's the warfare, so that you can avoid having that wound deepen, that's the healing. Great nutshelling. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still not sure how that's going to enable us to roll fiercely, but somehow magically that will. So at this point in time, we're going to take a break from the four streams trademark, and find out John's view on spirits. Because spirits come into the warfare part of it, and we all know the warfare part of it is John's favorite part. Is he finally going to label the enemy? Now, he did He did in the warfare one, but this is just spirits in general. John does believe that there are spirits, and they have function and personality, even the evil ones. John doesn't believe in, in possession, per se, 
of Christians by spirits, but he does believe in demonic persecution and demonic footholds. Okay, so so essentially uh, his warframe, the Christians, because they've got the Holy Spirit in them, can't be possessed by a demonic spirit. But if they're still have some segment of their old nature, the, the sinful nature, then that's a foothold for chastisements of the enemy. If, if there's still something that we can label <laughs> sin in your life, or there you're still go. having problems in your life... My grace that's... is sufficient for you, but, you know... The demons can still influence, persecute, and... Yeah. This cling will, to your back. I feel like this is going to be sort of this is uh, his answer for why good people do bad things. <laughs> so, I mean, if demons didn't exist, there wouldn't be a command to resist the devil, mm. you know. So therefore, demons, and if demons, therefore warfare. Gotcha. You got to have somebody to fight. So now that you have proof from John that mm. uh, there is a war with demons who are totes real, <laughs> you need to start doing a few things. These are. Not a formula. John makes that very clear. These are just examples of what to do or suggestions of what to do. Mm-hmm. Of which he has eight. I'm curious now. Mm-hmm. Are any of them a, a reference to the, the full armor of God? <laughs> <laughs> Is anyone going to be girding their loins? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he throws in the actual armor, but what are these eight steps? I just figured just for shits and grins, we'd keep them in here and, and yeah, have some fun with them. So we need to, number one, choose to abide in Christ by consecrating yourself to God every morning because you can't be a true Christian without some sort of daily practice Mm -hmm. thing. Number two, we need to extend our authority and covering over those who are under us. Because men and authority go together. Yeah, that's that's never been abused. You know. Number three, we need to humble ourselves by declaring God's authority over us and confessing our sins. Because clean, fresh, obedient people is who God likes to use best. Ritualistic purification, plus if you're going to be any type of spiritual leader within a religious organization, you yourself need to be pure and have dominion over all that you control, i.e. your family, your household, all that, your own passions. Yes. Number four, we need to learn to relate to the Trinity, paying special attention to each part. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've Don't just compliment one. Mm-hmm. Treat God like a woman. <clears throat> I like your eyes and your boobs and your butt. All three. But I'm really a leg man. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I, 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 I remember <laughs> I'm having trouble getting past this uh, uh, metaphor or, or, or example. Um <laughs> <laughs> Going, wait, You're which, welcome. which member of the Trinity is the ass? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the Holy Spirit because nobody ever. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say scrub that for a second. I do I, I do remember like prayer languages going here. Let's let's address God the Father. Let's let's address Jesus the Son. Let's address the Holy Spirit. And almost like supplicating each different member of the Trinity. Like they each have their own specialization. Like if you. you come to God the Father, he's he's going to have most of the power. Um, you, you come to Jesus for forgiveness. He's the one who identifies you with, with you the most. And, and for immediate help right now, the Holy Spirit is like, he's right there beside you. He's a, he's a guide. He's a, a helper. 
Um, so he's paying attention and, and everything. So you, you've got to kind of kind of hit the right ones at the right time with the right request. You don't want to get things mixed up because then they have to communicate with one another and it just it creates a backup of, you know, legal tape and bureaucracy in heaven. <laughs> and they're all jealous. So apparently if you leave one out, you yeah, know, yeah, they'll get mad. I don't know. Uh, number five. You need to put off the old man and put on the new, you know, the alive one who lives every day in a fantasy realm of their own imagination that John's helped curate for you. This is starting to sound very familiar. Um, Once we get through all eight, uh, there's some some kind of interesting parallels I'd like to kind of go back and point out. Yeah. Number six, you need to start exercising your fierce mastery which you got when Christ beat Satan, exercising it over things. Oh, that's a... Because what's power if you don't use it? Well, that that honestly begins to... That begins to get into the... Um, I think it's an Old Testament concept of... And you'll find this in other faith traditions. Um, Christians don't always like to admit that this is in, in their own sacred text, but the idea that pretty much wherever you set your foot, you know, that's God's land that you have dominion over. So I claim this land in the name of well, it, it, colonialism. colonialism. <laughs> Christian colonialism. <laughs> well, that's the thing is that we, we end up thinking of it as sort of a geographical terms, but especially in this society now, here in the 2020s, you could very easily look at uh, government, law, the, the institution of marriage, uh, family upbringing, school systems and education. It's sort of, if there is Christians there, they want it, they want to establish dominion over this region, this territory, this aspect of society, culture, whatever, until everything looks monochrome. Yeah, it's too bad that, you know, Christianity can't agree with itself on what that's supposed to look like. That's the argument that always cracks me up whenever someone says we need to have the Bible back in schools. If you carry your Bible in your backpack, the Bible's technically in school. You can read it. You're just, the school administration's just not allowed to force people to read it mm-hmm. as part of education. But... It always cracks me up when I encounter a Christian who believes that we should have organized prayer, but specifically the Bible back in schools. And I go, okay, which version, mm-hmm. which interpretation, <laughs> which translation, which version are you okay with? And can you get every other Christian in America on board with that version being the approved? No, no you can't. And it, it cracks me up because I go, now, if you allow the Bible in, what other sacred texts that you don't consider the Bible are you also willing to allow in? And if not, other prayer that yeah. isn't Christian prayer, mm-hmm. are you going to allow back in schools? Yeah. Yeah. You need prayer back in school. Okay, which prayer? Well, are you, Who are we praying to? If you're willing to allow the reading of, say, Genesis, are you also willing to allow readings from the Torah, like specifically the Pentateuch? It's a different sacred text, but also the same. Are you okay with that? Um, how about a Genesis narrative from the Quran, which will be very different? Or, uh, <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so step seven, walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be charismatic, but you can still, you know, take advantage of what's offered by them. Walk mm-hmm. with God. Yep. Going through every step of life together. Mm-hmm. And number eight is thank God for and receive all the blessings and angels that he has for you. Claimed and unclaimed. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Pour out those storehouses of heaven upon us. Yes, Lord. (laughs) Give me more. 
Cheap plug, listen to Prayer Jabez. Yes. <laughs> uh, John has all of these eight steps all written out into an easy scripted prayer for you at the appendix of this book. So you can just copy what he's been doing for years if you don't feel like trying to create your own mm-hmm. prayer. It should only take you about 15 minutes every morning to pray all eight of these suggestions. <laughs> but after just one to two weeks, you will start seeing wonderful, life-changing results. Name it, claim it, baby. Oh, yeah. And you didn't... <laughs> you fell into the trap that John told you this wasn't a system a or a formula. Or form- this yeah. wasn't gonna, you know... He went John. beyond the usual seven-step seven step system and created an eight-step system. <laughs> <laughs> And he's not even being, at least as far as I can sort of see, he's not even being even remotely original with the eight steps. There's two things I kind of wanted to address. When you when you started reading off some of these, the first thing that jumped out to me, uh, especially within the first three steps, that idea of establishing dominion over your immediate territory, establishing a routine of every morning addressing this over and over again, almost in a mantra in my head is how it's kind of coming off, but but also reestablishing this as a, a ritualistic purification. You find this very common practice amongst extremist indoctrination, ritualistic purification, that type of thing within other religious traditions. It can be something as simple as uh, pledging allegiance to the Christian flag and to the American flag and to the Bible first thing in the morning. But as a like a head of a family, you now have somebody who is bringing their children and their family into this this ritual every day of, of establishing sort of a uh, a regular dominion over all that you see, it, it's a great way to develop zealots for a faith, for a tradition, which is interesting, kind of taking that a step further, this eight-step system that he's talking about, it is very reminiscent of two other traditions that you can find in the world. Uh, one is an eight-step system in Sufi Islam, Sufi mysticism, and another in a particular tradition of Buddhism. And what you have are little eight-step systems that your goal is to shed the uh, the passions, the holds, the uh, desires of this world, with an idea of a certain uh, achieving a certain type of freedom from this world. Um, for Christians, you could you could look at it from the sinful nature or the sin of this dark world. Uh, from uh, Sufi Islam and and Buddhism, they're trying to uh, essentially shed the trappings of this world, and they go through very similar steps of mantra prayer ritualistic uh, purification. And so you're saying John is preaching a type of mysticism. Mysticism, okay. yes. This, this is very, very close to these different mystic traditions that what he's saying, this is an incredibly committed monastic almost uh, style of living. It is, it requires a full and committed lifelong devotion to this particular process. And as you continue to shed different desires or different aspects of this world away, you become deeper and deeper and more entrenched into the process, moving yourself towards that that final level of, of, of freedom, achievement, nirvana, enlightenment. He seems to be trying to move the reader towards is this ultimate committed level of 
Again, I, I, I see this in extremist uh, zealotry talk. Oh, yeah, no, this lends itself very much to, like, mm-hmm. white nationalist, or Christian white nationalism here in America. Absolutely. Like, that particular flavor of, you know, we have our mantra, we have our system, we have mm-hmm. our steps, and this is our goal. Well, in those first uh, first three steps, you come across establishing dominion and this ritualistic purification. These can be very, very uh, insidious and dangerous when it comes to their practice because they can lead you lead a person who who may not understand the subtext of some of this now that they are pure good a servant of god and they have carrying god's glory right but to establish then dominion you are now setting yourself up as part of a a set-apart class that doesn't have to abide by the rules of others around them or that they're oh, yeah. they're justified in, in exerting their influence over others to further the kingdom. It can be very very easily manipulated into an aggressive form of uh, proselytization or or even indoctrination amongst one's family and community. And there's no stopgap given in no, these books. Going, no. is he preaching white nationalism? No, but he's advocating for the tenants, and he's giving no stopgap in there. He's right. not saying. This is where we draw the line, or this is how far you should take it. No, he's speaking the language of warfare. He's speaking the language of authority. He's speaking mm-hmm. the language of rule. And he's doing this to an audience specifically of men. Mm-hmm. Well, and how often within Christian circles do we honor the memories of the fallen, the, mm-hmm. the martyrdom? And so that's almost something that's encouraged, because if you don't reach you know, your full level of eight steps in this life, dying in martyrdom, or at least committed to a cause is a form of it. You'll find this amongst other mystic traditions where traveling to the burial sites, the tombs of fallen, you could call them saints, uh, for lack of a better term, great teachers, great philosophers, great embodiments of wisdom who have been following these these eight steps, these traditions, these philosophies, and after they've gone, you essentially are trying to take on their mantle, their yoke, what they did to achieve such greatness. And I, I honestly could see this type of approach being taken to an eight-step system like what John is outlining here, and that that being, um, at the very minimum, that your tradition, your idea, your life would be held up as an example to those following after you. It doesn't always have to be, you know, bad or malevolent, but it is ripe for being misused. Oh, absolutely. All right. <laughs> Thank you. That honestly was very enlightening. And this is this is why we do this podcast, is to identify some of the messages like this, going, is this explicit? No. But we've seen from the early 2000s, you know, 20 years later, going, this is where we've come. These are the types of messages that are used in today's culture. And when there's no, there's no limiting factors, mm-hmm. when there's no clear explanation, when there's no... When this is presented as the only option and the only way of living. Or the right or ultimate uh, way. Yeah. Within Sufi, uh, Sufi Islam, that is not the way it is taught or preached. You could be a Sunni, you could be a Shia, you could be a Christian and still be a Sufi mystic. 
Whereas within this type of teaching, you're a Christian and a Christian only. You would and grow you're up. You're not a in, real Christian unless, unless you, you follow do it these this steps. Way. Exactly. So that, well, you might choose to join this type of tradition and, and embody this sort of. I know John doesn't call it a program, but if you were to bring children and their children eventually into this program, and this is the only lifestyle, the only way that they are being taught with no options or alternatives, that is how cults generally can get started. That yeah. is how uh, zealots are born, mm -hmm. um, and, and this can be very, very insular. Uh, and exclusionary towards other Christians, other faiths, and any group that doesn't keep in accordance with a program set out like this one is sort of building towards, they can be very hostile from within and from without to anything they perceive as a threat, mm -hmm. anything that deviates from the eight steps, the foundations. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's so, a downer. Yeah. So now that we've merged the streams with a patented prosperity prayer here, we're uh, going to win all the wardses that come along our ways. And then I think John's going to revisit the heart again in the last section of this book. Well, he's a Wallace, and Wallace is from Braveheart. So we got to have lots of heart imagery. Yeah, we've had lots of war in this one. Now we've got to bring in the heart of a warrior. I mean, I'm assuming that's you know, where he's going. But, Some sort of a heart problem. Yeah. So join us next time to see what wondrous myths John is going to reveal by subscribing. He says a myths, he means movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, join us uh, next time. Tell somebody about us. Preferably somebody with a heart. Because if two people tell two people and they tell two people... <laughs> <laughs> Our contact info is in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got eight steps for life, yes. keep it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, take care of yourselves. Bye. <laughs>